I'm a foodie and I enjoy learning about the process that brings great foods and beverages from idea to the table. And then I like tasting them and learning the nuances of what creates the most significant tastes from coffee to cheese to distilled beverages. I did a tequila tasting in Mexico and recently bourbon, Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon really impressed me from the story to the taste. I grew up in Kentucky where horse racing and bourbon are famous and I got introduced to Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon. It's produced by Heaven Hill Distillery, which has been and still remains family owned since 1935. And I'm impressed with the bourbon's ultra rich, smooth taste. And right on the bottle, it states that this bourbon is seven years old, which is actually three times longer than what's required to be certified as bottled in bond. I feel with beverages, the longer the prep, the better the taste. Being a bottled in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Self-Helpful Podcast is brought to you by Ziggler, your premier source for equipping life and leadership coaches. Visit Ziggler.com and let them inspire your true coaching performance. Hi, everyone. I'm Kevin Miller, and welcome to Self-Helpful, where I hunt for the most relevant self-help information and the most effective guides and bring them on the show to see what drives them and extract the big idea that you can take action on. In this episode, we kick off a series on confidence, and the title of the show is The Three Pillars of Confidence You Can Use Immediately. Confidence is something I feel has gone by the cultural wayside. I mean, if you're confident, then you're arrogant or narcissistic. Yet we only pay and follow people who are confident. So my expert is Heather Monahan. Heather is a two times best-selling author. She was a top 50 keynote speaker in the world in 2020. And she's host of the top ranked podcast, Creating Confidence. Her first book, Confidence Creator, shot to number one on Amazon's business biographies and business motivation list the first week it debuted on Amazon. Her brand new book is called Overcome Your Villains, Mastering Your Beliefs, Actions, and Knowledge to Conquer Any Adversity. Here we go. All right, well, Heather, here's what resonated in a big way in reading your book, looking at your message, listening to your podcast. We had a guy on... Not long ago, Jordan Grummet, he's a palliative care doctor, literally giving people their end of life sentence, right? Saying, okay, you've got six weeks to live, six months to live, a year to live, whatever. I know, terrible stuff. But here's what's interesting and what I'm going to tie in to what really hit me coming out of your message is he says, when he gives that end of life diagnosis, I mean, we're all going to die, but this is a, you know, pretty soon. So this is imminent. This is happening. What happens, he says, is so profound because all of a sudden they leave this self-protective shell that he's saying we all tend to live in. And all of a sudden they're looking at, okay, what's possible? 
And that shift, he says, is dramatic. And what he's trying to do, of course, with his book is say, how about if we try to hit that shift before we get the end of the life diagnosis? Okay, that's my preface, because that's what I feel I sense in you, in you as a person. And what you're trying to draw people into is kind of looking at life through the possibilities and the opportunities and not this self-protective aspect. And that is, that's what I feel like emanated from you, that you are living that life of going, no, I'm not going to, I mean, it, it, it calls to you to be protective, but you're, I'm not going to, I'm not going to answer to that one. I'm going to answer to opportunity and possibility. What do you think? Well, I hate the analogy of near-death experience in my book. Okay, let's put that out there. But to your point, I guess the near-death experience for me was getting fired, right? Because that's really where, and and that's a terrible analogy. I'm not trying to equate the two, but I'm just trying to, you know, just relate to what you're saying. That was the moment for me that changed everything, the way that I saw stepping into fear. P.S., I was very successful person in corporate America prior to this happening. And I thought I was already living in possibility. Like I had done all these things that no one thought I ever could have made it to the C-suite as a female. Like all I I was speaking on stages all around the country and people and myself included already thought I was living in possibility. However, getting fired for me that moment was the moment where I decided to really step into possibility, uncertainty and start living differently. And it was so scary Definitely not easy, but it's changed my entire life. And, and I do understand your point. Um, I guess in some ways, you know, that's the goal of my books, my talks, my podcast is to give everybody that same gift and empower them to know what's possible for each one of us. As I read your book, I just, you know, you share so many stories and uh, of your own experience. And it feels like I mean, you, you experienced a lot of pushback, a lot of, uh, you know, failure here and a lot of you, and you kind of testified that as you're going through the book of, oh my gosh, and this was devastating. And, and again, I've got this filter on of going, oh, and you're talking about, I was moving, I wanted to move into protection. I wanted to just, you know, curl up in a ball, but I didn't. And so I came out of that and, and kind of forced yourself to look at, possibility and opportunity. And so again, your book just resonated with what Jordan talked about of, okay, you're living this out and you're taking us through the stories of coming to what's possible and what is the opportunity. And, and also I, I saw just the difficulty of not protecting ourselves. And yet if we do, we stay so small, but that feels like that's so hard. I mean, you, you, again, you talked about it in your book and you're working with people every day and it, it kind of brought me to go, why do we do that? Why are we so protective and small? There's nothing there for us. And yet we, we revert to that. I, why? I mean, and that's, that's a big question. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't have the answer to that big question. Um, yeah. But you know, it's funny. You just made me think of this. I had a post on Instagram the other day. I said, when everything is uncertain, anything is possible which is true, right? Like the moment when you really step into complete uncertainty means that's the the real moment of possibility. And yes, it's challenging to become more comfortable doing that. But like anything, the more and more you do it, the more often you do it, the more you, you start getting excited to, oh my gosh, I wonder what's going to happen next. But it was funny because I posted um, that post on Instagram and my sister-in-law Uh, commented. And it was funny to hear this from her. She says, Oh my gosh, that sounds so horrible and so petrifying. Mm. 
And, and this is someone I love and know very well, right? And knows me very well. And it made me laugh. And I thought, I understand where she's coming from, which I believe is where most people are coming from, which is, oh my gosh, that idea of total and complete uncertainty does not sound exciting, does not sound, there's so much possibility. It sounds horrifying. And um, I don't know, I've just learned through moving through these really challenging situations that the more I can step into uncertainty, the greater things are going to get. And it's a completely different reframe. It's about letting go of control, which we all, you know, most of us anyhow, want to be able to control things. But the reality is there's so much outside of us that we don't control any of it anyhow. It's more about, you know, being accepting of that. And then in my opinion, having a belief in something bigger and greater than us and this belief and knowing that the more we step into this, the better things are going to get that, you know, the more we have growth ahead of us and more opportunity we have. So it's really become a discipline and a practice of mine um, on the daily. Okay, let's go right there. So one of my favorite topics right now, Heather, is certainty. Because that's where I joke about it, but it's not really that funny that if I look back to when I was 25, 30, 35, life was kind of easier because I was so certain. I had things figured out. I had the black and whites. I had the right and wrongs. And now at 52, I've never, I mean, to some degrees, I feel like I've never been so certain in my life, but I'm trying to find peace in that uncertainty. So talk with me there because I'm tracking with you and yet it feels initially. So let's say initially when you let go of that certainty, you, you, you lose your footing. Like, okay, what am I standing on now? So I'm, I mean, I'm tracking with you, but I'm also going to testify to my own walk in that. And it's, it can, it's really unsettling initially to let go of, cause we think that we're supposed to be certain, right? Yeah. But what, I don't know, I'm 48. So we're close in age and, and I'll tell you, yes, I agree. When I was younger, I had so much certainty and if, People listening right now don't journal. Oh my gosh, journal, because it's super helpful to Kevin's point to be able to go back and look at how we were thinking at different points totally. in our lifetime, our career, whatever. And I have journals from the time I was, I think I started when I was 18. So it's super helpful for me to pick up patterns in my life, fails that I, you know, different ways I was thinking that weren't serving me, but to your point, ways that were. And I went back, I moved a year ago and I had lived in the same house for 17 years. I went back and started reading things during the move because I was uncovering all these boxes, right? Mm -hmm. And it was so cool. I moved into my new home now and I'm reading journals and notes that I wrote in 2018, right when I had gotten fired, right when I was writing my first book, Confidence Creator. I was still, you know, if you Googled me, I showed up as a media executive. Like I was still this old persona and so different than who I am today. And I started looking at these notes, Kevin, and the, these journals, and I was so certain it yeah. was, it was coming from a place of anger, animosity, and hurt. Now that I can reflect upon it, yeah. I'm not saying that's wrong, right? I had just been fired unjustly. So, you know, just because a woman hated me, right? it, it is what it is. But at the time it felt horrible and I was angry at her. And so when I would write like these clarity statements and ownership statements about what I like, I'm going to be the number one best-selling author in the U S I'm going to like the certainty and conviction. I approached what I do now with was incredible. It was so much greater than how I actually behave now. Now, again, it was stemming from the wrong place. It was coming from a place of upset anger and angst and probably rooted in fear, 
But when I look back on those notes and journals, I was like, wow, it gave me a moment of clarity to say, you know what? I need to get back to that level of conviction and certainty and belief in myself and that this is my calling and this is my mission in life. And when you step into your passion, you step into your true mission, whatever that may be for anyone, know that doors are going to open for you. Things will be easier for you because that's why you've been placed on this earth. I truly believe that. And get back to that knowing and conviction that this is where I'm meant to be. These doors are going to open and I am 100% clear on it because through, you know, once the pandemic hit and my business completely had to change, like there's been so many interesting challenges and opportunities that have occurred over the last five years since I've been working for myself that have brought about doubt, have brought about lack of certainty, have brought about, I could have never planned for this, right? So it's really tested this concept that I have that stepping into uncertainty is the biggest possibility because I've struggled with it so much over the last five years. Okay. And what you said there are something, let me, let me speak back something that I, I think that I hear and see what you think about it. It sounds like you're saying, okay, you want certainty in yourself. You said the word conviction, you said concert, you said certainty, and I'm going to get into confidence here in a second, but certainty in yourself as you, is this fair? As you recognize or accept, maybe embrace the uncertainty of navigating life. Does that resonate? Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's like, you nailed it. Okay. I mean, cause that's a big deal of saying, cause we want to say everything out there is certain. I know what's going on. I know what reality is. I know what's truth. I know what's fact out there. And I'm going, dude, I have less again, certainty out there. But you're bringing us to, okay, but at least be certain in yourself. That feels, well, back, you said the word control. And as we know, that's the only thing that you can control. But that's a big, that's a big, uh, I don't know. Is that a balance? Is that a tension? Is it a, uh, a yin-yang, I guess? Yeah, it's a variable, right? It, it, it's definitely um, a variable. But yeah, when you find that confidence, conviction, clarity, and and commitment to yourself and, and belief in yourself, that's the real answer. I mean, that's really, you know, you become so much more at peace with everything going to, you know, you know what around you or like everything changing on a dime or, and again, part of this, I believe comes through experience and us seeing, oh gosh, I thought I was good. When the pandemic hit, I thought I was going to die. Like how was my keynote speaking business going to prevail? It wasn't right. Oh. Events canceled overnight and my money disappeared overnight. However, that's how I ended up launching my coaching program, which that's when I landed my first board seat. I would have never been on the board of directors had the pandemic not hit. So now like that experience first and foremost taught me I would have never pursued these opportunities, made these connections if it wasn't for this somewhat disastrous situation in my life. Mm -hmm. So it just always reminds me the next time disaster hits or perceived disaster or, or upset, wait a minute, there's always going to be an opportunity. I just have to give myself the time to find it. Okay. So let's play with confidence then. I mean, you've got so much. That was your, again, your first book uh, about confidence. It's your podcast right now. And you lead off even your latest book with a talk on confidence. So I looked, I, I'm a word guy. I like to look at it, it, it from a standpoint of type it in. And what's the first definition that comes up, which is the cultural narrative on it. So it says confidence, a feeling of self-assurance arising from one's appreciation of one's own abilities or qualities. 
Okay, so I'm playing with that. And again, I'm reading your book and looking at your stories, you know, over and over these stories of uh, hard, hard stories, I mean, difficult stories. You didn't have a whole lot of them that said, you know, oh, I went in, I wanted this, I was kind of convicted, knocked out of the park in a story. That's not the book. It wouldn't be that interesting. Uh, that's not the book. But what I saw, and I'm going to ask you about with confidence is also just a lot of, as we're talking about certainty, a lot of faith, just faith, faith that at the end of the day, well, of course, so I looked up faith. What's the cultural definition? We've got trust or confidence in someone or something. And it felt like a trust that things will work out. Things will be okay. And you just mentioned a minute ago, a higher power as well. Tell me how the aspect of faith is part of how you see and define confidence. Oh my gosh. Faith is lockstep with confidence. However, you can be confident without faith. I would highly recommend to merge the two though, because you will make it so much easier on yourself. The reason why I say that is I've been confident in myself and not been leaning into my faith the way that I do now. I lean into my faith more now than I ever have in my entire life. And it, and it pays, like it pays dividends, major dividends to do this. Again, this is my opinion and my personal experience. I've, my relationship with God for other people, it's higher power universe, whatever it is for you, you know, that strength to me is the foundation for my confidence now, where before, to your point with the definition, it used to be more about my ability and my belief in myself, which is great, right? You want to believe in those things too. But when you bring those two together, it's so incredibly powerful. It, it, it just, you become unstoppable because truly nothing can stop you when you have this conviction and faith. Well, and I'm going to save some of the question on faith for part two, because that's actually where we start off talking about spirituality in this though, staying on confidence with that. And again, I'm, I'm wanting to, I'm taking the opportunity here to hit some high level, I think cultural issues. I mean, we're in the self-help industry, personal development industry. We talk about confidence and we talk about a lot of things that we don't get. And obviously we're looking at the stats and going, this, it's not, people aren't getting it. So I appreciate so much of what you brought out in the book. And I, I feel like we have this perspective that we're supposed to pump ourselves up I am Superman. I am God. I am better. I am best. Whatnot. And that's not what, again, I read in your book. It wasn't saying that I'm better, but it was saying nobody else is either. And more of an equality statement that puts us, keeps us from minimizing ourselves or others. Yeah, I, I actually, I talk a lot about this in my speeches too. And, and that's actually a chapter in Overcome Your Villains about putting everybody on a level playing field. And I think I, I use the story of, I was asked to teach at Harvard um, during the pandemic actually. And I freaked out when this professor came to me with this opportunity because I thought I was being punked. I thought it was a joke. Like why I couldn't have gotten into Harvard. Why would Harvard want me? I was putting myself beneath them and I was putting Harvard on a pedestal. Didn't know I was doing it. I just did it, you know, without realizing I was doing it. But so often in all of our lives, we put somebody on a pedestal because they're better looking, richer, more successful, went to Harvard, whatever reasons that we all you know, have in our, in our life. But the, I ended up asking the professor, I, I said, why would you want someone like me to teach your class? And he explained, 
Heather, I'm an old white male. I haven't been in sales or sales leadership in two decades. I've been teaching. I, I don't know anything about social media. I don't know anything about being a woman in leadership. I don't know anything about being a single mother. And he's like, you, the way you approach everything is so different than me. All it can do is add value to my students. And once he explained that to me, he basically gave me the rose colored glasses that he was wearing. When he looked at me, I put them on and looked at myself in the mirror and thought, oh my gosh, these people need me, right? Like I, of course I'm their equal. I need to take Harvard off the pedestal. And once I was able to do that, I could be calm and approach it with confidence and say, I might not have been able to get a perfect score on my SATs like some of these people did, but I've got this great real, real world experience that I can offer to them that's going to benefit them in such a great way. I'm so excited to go in there and add my value, my perspective, the way that that professor allowed me to see it. So, you know, I really encourage people to we live in a world where we want people to be treated equally. We want to be inclusive. That all starts with us. And, and we need to stop putting ourselves beneath other people. Okay. That's fair. I mean, that's relevant. My gosh, as a pot, I mean, I've been sitting here for years, you know, 200, all the books behind me, 200 plus, you know, incredibly successful people like you sitting in front of me. And there's not one of them that in, at least in some area, if not multiples, I'm going, Oh my gosh, they've kicked it way out of the park further than I have. And that, it's hard. It's hard to not sit here and feel like imposter syndrome in that and have to work and go, no, no, no. And I get in there and we're peers and we have different areas of expertise. And this aspect though, of, of, I want to play that I, I, I pumping ourselves up, which is relevant. And, and we'll, we'll keep talking on that. I also, those felt within your stories and your message, a lot of, okay, yeah, there's, there's confidence in yourself to a degree, but it's not that you are again, that the best, the most brilliant, the, the, whatever it's almost confidence that regardless, I'm just, this is my goal. I'm going to go forward to it no matter what. I think you talk about, I don't know if it's your first book, your second book, that it was the 15th revision that your literary agent. Yeah. I know that's harsh. That's well, that's nothing. Okay. So what Kevin's describing right now is I wrote, I self-published my first book in the literary world. People might look at that as you're less than someone who's with a traditional publisher. So in my mind, I thought, all right, well, I already did it this way. I might as well go find the biggest agent out there and go to the biggest publishing house, go big or go home is my kind of my attitude in life. And so I Google, I find out um, who this agent is that I want to pursue. I, I start pitching her. She had me rework and repitch her 15 times before I actually got a yes, right? I ended up getting the yes. We signed with HarperCollins Leadership, which is amazing. And my second book, Overcame Your, Overcome Your Villains, came out. However, I've been in sales and sales leadership my entire life, not even my career. Like literally since I was nine years old and, and would deliver papers and had a paper route. So I know rejection is nothing personal and sales is just a numbers game. So when that woman kept saying no to me, I saw it as like a challenge. I'm like, all right, great. Well, wait till I wonder when I'm going to get her to say yes. I know I will. Right. So what am I failing at and, and how can I reimagine it so that I can get her to say yes? But that was not even near like that one really didn't get me that nervous. I decided I wanted a, to land a TEDx talk um, 2018 or 19. And I took out a Google alert on TEDx speakers wanted because I wanted to, you know, hit it hard, hit it frequent, apply for as many as I could because I knew it's a numbers game and I'll, and I'll eventually land one. I applied to 100 TEDx talks and was told no every single time. Cut to, I was discouraged at this point in time. I'm like, this is incredible. I can't even believe that I'm at 100 and I, I can't land it. Um, and I end up, I was giving a talk in Miami. A woman was there with TEDx. She comes up to me afterwards and says, 
you really should give a TEDx talk. And I laughed in her face and I said, lady, I'm literally applying to hundreds and I all I get is no all day long. And she said, how are you pitching it? And I was making it all about me. And she explained, make it about them, support them, and you'll get a yes. My next TEDx pitch, I applied, I landed it, and that TEDx was promoted to TED and translated into six languages and killed it. So my point is this, there's always like a missing piece or a tweak that you know might just need to happen in a very small way that can change everything. Don't get discouraged by the no's, stay focused on the one yes. I, again, I, I got to be candid. It's, it spoke to me that book story, especially because, so I just, so what drives you? It's my first book and I've been writing, meaning crafting, creating, you know, all the podcasts I've been doing that forever. So I thought of myself as a writer, even though I hadn't done a book. So I like you go after and get the big literary agent. And I'm going to go after the big uh, publisher. So we did that. We got a deal and I do the first draft and I just, I expect, and this is where my confidence falters. And again, you're hitting me with your book and some of the message, my confidence falters because I'm expecting it to come out of my brilliance. Hey, I'm, a, I'm just, <laughs> I think it's hilarious. Thanks for the laugh. Yeah. I appreciate that. I, I, I accept that with grace and humility. So I wrote the first manuscript and gave it to them and they're like, dude, the concept is there, but this is crap structure and rejected the whole thing. I was pretty devastated. So I went, Stop it. I think that's so funny. Oh my yeah. God. It's so typical of that. Hap like what happened to you happens to 99% of people. Well, I thank you for pointing out my ignorance and, and, and my arrogance in some degree, you know, I just thought I'm just going to put it out there. And what I realized, and I think somebody said it, or I read it that I had been writing. That doesn't mean I was a good writer. I was able to take it and craft it and do a good show. I mean, I'm, this is coming from a lot of notes and I'm jumping from some, but that's not writing a book. So then I went to work. And I went and I hired the right people. I paid out, you know, I took my advance money and paid out of pocket and, and did all that. And then came and we, we got a good book out of it. But it's different than you going after. It reminds me of uh, Patrick Lencioni. So we had him on the show. Uh, his book is Working Genius. And he's got this profile called Working Genius. Let's find your working genius. Take a little profile and come out. And, you know, my first one is wonder and creating things and, and whatnot, which is, it, it is, that's where I, I love to do. My last one, Heather, tenacity. I start things. I'm a killer. You, know, you want to start something, create a framework. I'm your guy. You want to finish something. I'm not your guy. And I, I know, but you've got to have that. I mean, so if I don't have that right now, I'm having to hire that. So I'm hiring people with tenacity because it is not me. I just want to move on to the next thing. I need them to hold me accountable and bring me back to it. But I do see what I felt like, again, coming back to your confident you're confident and confident. I guess play with that. There's one of being confident in your abilities and maybe another of that guiding force. If you're confident that you're just going to see it through no matter what, even if initially your abilities are shown that they're lacking and you got to do it again and you got to do it again and do good. But either way, you're going to be committed and confident that you're going to see it through and you're not going to quit. That feels like a big part of your message. Yeah, it's interesting that you brought up the part about how, um, you know, whatever that gentleman's book was that you just described, Arizona Genius or whatever it was that, you know, everybody, I guess. Most of today, you will be indoors, likely your home or your office. I am as well. Even with my treks out into the woods, I spend a lot of time inside. And we're going to take about 20,000 breaths, according to the EPA the indoor air is two to five times more polluted than the outdoor air, sometimes up to a hundred times more polluted. At my studio, we have heat being forced through old ducts. I walk on carpet full of years of junk. 
no idea what's floating in the air that I'm taking constant gulps of. The solution is an air purifier and air doctor is just the best. Air doctor filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants and allergens such as pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold, bacteria, viruses. They do it so your lungs don't have to. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Go to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code KEVIN, and depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to 300 bucks off. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. So to get this special offer, go to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com Use promo code Kevin, airdoctorpro.com, promo code Kevin. Thankfully, the days of building a business website, then having this massive endeavor to integrate an online store are gone. Today, Shopify has fixed all that. I had one business where we actually built the entire website on Shopify's platform. So whether you're just starting out or you're selling a million bucks of product already, Shopify is just the industry leader. It works the same for physical products or online and digital, and Shopify is just hands down the best out there. Most importantly, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. It's 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Getting people to buy is not that hard, at least to the buying point, but getting them to actually give their payment info is, and Shopify is king in that department. They also have top-tier customer service, which I think is critical. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Kevin. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Kevin to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Kevin. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. forget everybody has different strengths around that, right? I just assume, you, you assume people are similar to you. Sure. The fact that you said, oh, I just, you know, I jump right in and figure out a framework. I would never do that. Like that doesn't ever cross my mind. And it's so funny. I am leading a mastermind right now for speakers. And one of the women came to me and she said, I need more framework. I need more homework. And I'm like, what are you talking? Like, why would you need it? It was, I struggled with it because that's not hmm. how I think. Right. So to your point, I finished everything that I, I wouldn't start something if I wasn't going to finish it. Like I can't, I can't fathom that, but I don't sit around and create frameworks for things either. So it just, you know, that's really about appreciation that we all are different in many ways. We think differently. We, we view things differently and, and it's helpful to, you know, to understand that. So you're smart to hire for, for the areas that we lack in and, and to your point, when your editor or um, publisher said to you, you know, this book isn't structured properly. I did the same thing. My first book wasn't structured at all. So I hired a man who had successfully written 19 books. Yeah. I had written zero at that point, right? So how would I know? How would you know? We wouldn't, but we have to hire for those, that expertise and, you know, hire for that coaching. And, and once I had my editor on board, he, the structure he gave me was 
beautiful. And I would have never thought about it. But once I had that, we were able to, you know, move forward so quickly. So definitely hire for our shortcomings and invest in ourselves. Yeah. It, again, it gets me playing with confidence that it's confident that I can, we can figure it out as opposed to, I think I have most of my life, I've looked at my confidence is supposed to come out of me holy, my abilities, again, my brilliance, my genius, my whatever, that that's what confidence is. And if I don't have those things, if I falter, then I am lacking confidence. So I have to go out and earn it in essence. Okay. I know. Yeah. I totally disagree with that. In fact, it's more being confidence really in the uncertainty, in the unknown, in the, I'm not like that great at framework or I'm not, or I almost fell on stage when I, when I walked out, like when you're really confident, you turn that into a joke and you make the crowd all part of it with you. When you're lacking confidence, you're going to start beating yourself up. Why did I, why did that happen? Right? Like you start being difficult and and tough on yourself for not quote unquote being perfect. And the bottom line is this perfection is actually a veil and cover for fear. And those are the people that are the most insecure. So trying to be that is that's an epic fail to begin with. It's all about, in my opinion, owning your flaws, you know, bringing them to light and putting them to work for you. Well, I agree with you now. I just didn't back then. I, I, this is part of my story. It's why I ended up in, I mean, it's part of my, it's in my book. It's, it's part of where, what I do here. It's why I ended up in burnout. It's why I quit. It's why I have a trajectory of starting a hundred businesses, you know, and then they, I leave them or they fail or even if they succeed, I sabotage them in some way. And some of this was part of the story. And, you know, looking at your story uh, and thinking about motive, I mean, you did have some, you had some hard circumstances, you know, in that. I mean, you talk about growing up in poverty and then later on you're single mom and you have, I mean, the, the buck stops with you. And I look at that and as I read your story, I tend to come back a lot to the difficulty for those of us, for those people who things just aren't that critical. You're fairly comfortable. You're kind of in the middle and you're comfortable. And I see that it's so much harder. It's almost easier if things do get critical. So if you're sitting there, if folks are listening, they're sitting there and and, and, I, and I'm there, eh, things are good. So if I want something, am I going to push hard enough? Am I going to take a risk? Because it's not critical. It'd almost be better if it were. How do you take that when it's not critical and make it critical enough to move when you don't have to? You know, it's interesting. I, as I mentioned, I was in corporate America for 25 years, had a lot of quote unquote success there. So I was comfortable, right? Like I had the big paycheck. I had the big title. I had, you know, all this recognition, but I wasn't thriving. I wasn't pushing myself to grow. I was, I I could forecast the next week, quarter, year, like five years. It, It was, I knew what everything would look like. And not surprising, I was also in a lackluster relationship for eight years during that time, right? Like, because one of the things I've noticed is what you allow for starts permeating to different parts of your life, right? Not Maybe not for everybody, but if you're really just kind of comfortable not pushing yourself to grow at work, you might be in that same situation in your relationship too, right? So for me, getting fired was this gift that I had to, you know, start owning, okay, I ended up here for a reason. How did I end up here and where do I want to go from here? And the more I started saying, I was sitting quote unquote comfortable for way too, for a decade too long. And I knew it. Mm-hmm. And I would complain about the place that I worked and I would complain about the fact that they wouldn't innovate. And I would complain to anyone who would listen. 
but I never actually complained to the person in the mirror and said, what are you going to do about it? Stop complaining. And I believe that if, you know, if you're meant for more, if, if you are sitting in a comfortable zone for too long, the universe is going to move you out. God is going to move you out because you are meant for more. It's really going to be, wait a minute, do I develop health issues? That happened to me too. I was losing my hair, right? Like I was having all these sleep problems. I was grinding my teeth at night. So many issues were popping up. And those are red flags to say to you, I'm trying to get your attention. Something's awry here. I didn't know that at the time. I thought, oh, geez, another problem I have to deal with. Like, I just thought, oh, par for the course in my life. But what I've learned now, those red flags pop up to get your attention. So you can say, wait a minute, what am I not noticing? Or what am I trying not to notice? And add, it, it's, it's like a, it just unravels. Your life starts unraveling. Once that one thing changes, for me, that was the termination that unraveled my relationship. Like suddenly I wasn't interested in just existing and being comfortable. I was interested in happiness and joy and finding my purpose and passion and stepping into fear and doing it aggressively and, and doing the antithesis of what I had just done for 10 years that I sat around and complained about. And that's really, it starts with having that hard conversation with yourself. You just said a minute ago, what you allow for in, in essence is going to happen. And I'm pulling this out. I think it was in the latter part of your book, actually, but I'm going to pull it out now. You have a quote in there that you highlight and you said, until we back to confidence, until we realize our value, no one else will either. Okay. I would say either, but yes. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. In that aspect though, and you talking about, we talked a minute ago about our tendency to minimize ourselves or put ourselves under. And I thought, my gosh, if we were given, you know, magic wand, a fairy shows up today and says, Hey, you're going to be given an opportunity for anything you say you're capable of. Otherwise nothing. And we have to fess up to what we think we can do, or we have to, as opposed to minimizing ourselves, we tend to sit around, you know, and, and minimize ourselves and wait for somebody else to testify to us, somebody else to say, oh, you're great or whatever. And then it lifts us up and we get our affirmations and our accolades. It works. Yeah, that does work. That helps. I mean, everybody loves that. And we're never not going to love that. But for us to sit down and go, look, this is what I am good at. This is what I am capable of. And to fess up that, I think we really struggle with that right now, especially in this this era of I've never seen more info on narcissism. And it's almost gotten people to feel like, okay, if I'm confident, and I, you know, say what I'm good at, am I going to be labeled? So I'm not going to I'm going to back off. Mm-hmm. And I get that propensity. And yet back to this thing, you know, what you allow or until we realize our value, no one else will either that ultimately that if I'm not confident in what I can do, why would anyone else and it really puts that on the front burner, doesn't it? Oh my gosh, it's so true. And I'm so happy that you brought that up. And I do also want to get two things. I want to answer your initial question here about this topic, but then I want to get into that narcissist point that you make, because I think it's a very relevant point after. Um, But, and I say that because I don't want to lose my train of thought. So I'm just sharing. No, I wrote it down. We'll come back to narcissist. Okay, Okay, thanks. So, um, you know, I guess I would just say that, oh my gosh, I have so much to say about all of us right now. Um, we We got plenty of time. We got plenty of time here. We got plenty of time. Well, now I have the narcissist thing on my on my brain. So let me just actually, I want to answer that. Go now. there if you want. Yeah. Okay. So slow. I I've been on shows where they're interviewing about, they're talking about, and you know what? Someone pointed out to me, Kevin. This is so interesting to me. Someone pointed out to me that my old boss that fired me was probably a narcissist. And again, I'm not I'm not an expert in narcissism. I don't claim to be. There are plenty out there, and the person 
who told me this is an expert in narcissism. And, and she explains to me some of the qualities of this individual. And as I sat and listened, it sounded to me, and again, I'm not a doctor, but it sounded like this woman might've been a narcissist. And it was about like this, creating this fake persona and perfection and like control and, and wanting to be the center of everything, like in her way, in the way that she was, you know, dictating everything. And as I thought about that, I thought, you know what, that's very similar to this woman, but that really is the opposite of confidence. And so often I hear this from so many people, Heather, there's a fine line between being confident and arrogant or confident in a narcissist or, you know, confident being too confident is basically what they're saying. I don't believe that. I believe there's no such thing as being too confident because being confident has nothing to do with being a narcissist. It's the opposite. It has nothing to do with being arrogant. I was very arrogant in my early 20s. I was always the loudest, most brash person in the room. And that was for a reason. I was incredibly insecure and I wanted to hide it. So the more I would amp up like the external that people would see, they thought, wow, she's ultra confident, almost a bit arrogant. But the reality was I was dying inside. I was so afraid to be found out. I was so afraid I wasn't good enough. I cared so much about the external praise and what other people thought of me as I've grown older. I don't need to be the loudest in the room. And in fact, I found power in not being the loudest. and, And this is something I talk about a lot. I've learned to respond, not react. When And what I mean by that is, If you're in a difficult situation and an ugly conversation, like the day I got fired, I didn't jump up and get in that lady's face and put my finger in her face and start screaming. I would have done that in my early twenties. I sat and I listened to everything she had to say with a sense of peace and calm because I believe in myself. And even though I didn't like the situation occurring around me, I knew that I will intrinsically be okay. That's true confidence. And believe, let me just tell you, that's a, a lifetime of work to get there, right? I'm not saying it's easy to obtain this. It's, it's a lot of work, a lot of years. But once she had emptied her glass to me in, in a very nasty way, right? And she was smiling and like, you know, the body language everywhere. I listened to her. I paused for a moment and I thought, you know, respond with all the grace and class you have within you right now. Don't react to this woman. You don't, to scream or yell or, or cry is giving her power and control over you. And and I'm not going to do that. And I said, if you have nothing else to say, I'm I'm going to leave. And and that was it. And, and, you know, in that moment, I completely shifted the dynamic there because I responded with grace and class instead of reacting. Yeah, of course it would have been fun to punch her, but you know what? That wasn't, that would give her control over me. That, that would basically be, you know, be the opposite of everything that I stand for. When I got to my car, I started crying but I was really proud of myself. I thought, you know, that was like a big win, even though that might not look like that on the outside. For me, intrinsically, it was a big win that that person I had been when I was younger would have flipped the table over and gone crazy and screaming, threatened people. But where I'm at in my life now, I believe in me. And I knew I didn't do anything wrong. And I thought, you know what, if this lady doesn't like me, that's on her. But you know what, I'm going to keep it moving forward and, and find out what that next opportunity is for me. And 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 when I I did that, that just... That was a big power confidence moment for me. And it might not seem that way to other people, but I just, I know it because I can feel it inside. Well, the aspect of reacting versus responding, I mean, that's the, you know, such a key of personal awareness, which is we, there's not a show that we do on self-help personal development. That's not about increasing our awareness of ourselves. So in this, I mean, again, I'm, I am enamored with 
you've pulled me to this aspect of confidence and human, how I have looked at it wrong, how I still do look at it wrong and how the culture looks at it wrong. And I'm so grateful we came to that because yeah, I think people do put it as a fine line between that and arrogance or that and narcissism, especially right now. But, and so we find people have a really hard time even taking a compliment and it got me to thinking, you know, what are the things that I really, I know I'm good at. I mean, if somebody says, oh my gosh, Kevin, you're a really good podcaster. Am I supposed to go, oh no, there's so many people. Well, apparently the numbers say I'm a good podcaster, you know, and apparently I can write a little bit and I can, you know, do X, Y, Z. And those are things that we shouldn't, how can we do that? Even that being able to state what you're good at with, I was going to say with confidence, how can you be confident? You know, you you get what I'm saying though. And that's, you know, it's so difficult because it feels like, oh, well, let's just bring out the word of pride before narcissism. We all had the word of pride. I mean, even from a, gosh, a religious standpoint uh, that I grew up in, pride's a bad word. Pride goeth before the fall. And yet I also feel like we're at a, I find it with my kids, Heather, that I want them to to feel proud of themselves. Not a, yeah, go with that. I see you nodding. Oh, yeah. No, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I actually wrote a chapter about this in my first book, Confidence Creator. And this is one of the, for me, and, and everyone's different, right? Like you might struggle in one area, you might not in another. But for me, this was something my entire life, someone could come up to me and say, wow, you've got really beautiful eyes. I would immediately say, oh, that's my parents it has nothing to do with me. Yeah. I could not accept a compliment. Here's why I didn't know it at the time. I thought so little of myself. I didn't feel deserving of someone offering me something kindly and saying, you know what? Thank you. I know. I love these baby blues. I'd be rocking them every day and I'm wearing an outfit to even amplify them even more. And and the thing is, again, through trial and error and through self-awareness and journaling and all these different things, I realized I don't feel good about myself when other people give me compliments and I fight back at them, I've had it pointed out to me. And again, this is years ago when someone would give, say like, wow, you were just great at this or like, wow, that was so impressive. And I would try to be little, oh, it was no big deal. I've worked for years at this. You know, it's really not that big of a deal. I realized that made me feel worse and it made the other person feel worse too. Here they were trying to do something out of kindness and honesty and, and being kind. And I was slamming a door in their face. So they would walk away not feeling great about it. And I would walk away not feeling great. And that's, that's not who I am. So I had to, and it was a struggle at first. I had to struggle and say, thank you. That was my step one was to say, thank you. And just like zip it at that. That was hard enough. And then once I became comfortable after a while of saying, thank you, then I could be like, thanks. I think so too. Or, oh my gosh, thanks so much. That means the world to me that you said that, right? Then I could start really owning it. But all of these little tiny tips and tricks all really elevate your confidence. The other one that comes to mind that's similar to this one is apologizing for everything. So often specifically women, you know, someone will bump into you and you say, I'm sorry, even it had nothing to do with you. What are you talking about? Right? I mean, listen, you trip an old lady running down the street, that's on you and you should apologize. But if somebody else bumps into you, or if you're late to a meeting, you say, thank you for your patience. Thanks for waiting for me, guys. Let's start the meeting now. You don't have to come in and put yourself beneath everybody. Instead, make it about gratitude, make it about the other people. Okay, I'm going to pull that one out and try to be as tactful as I can. You, you said that women specifically tend to do that. Uh, one of my, my oldest son gave a, like a frame to my wife 
and it was, he had pulled out, it was kind of a meme on, instead of saying, yeah, I'm sorry for this, say thank you, because that is her tendency to, yeah. to kind of, and she admits that openly to play small and to go, oh, I'm so sorry, like that. I'm sorry for being late, as opposed to, oh my gosh, thanks so much for waiting for me. And it's such a huge, it sounds so pithy, but it's such a massive Mind shift. Okay. On that mind shift though, I'm still on this. You said it again a second ago, you thought so little of yourself. Couldn't even, you know, accept that your eyes are blue, which uh, by the way, me too. So the cover of my book, blue shirt pops them out. Yeah. I, I had to get over that too. <laughs> Is that egotistical? My brother's like, no dude, that's how you play the game. Go do some branding. All right. <laughs> so, uh, thoughts a little of yourself that again, if we, if we were told, I don't know why this picture keeps going in, in my head, Heather, but if we were told you're going to go out today and just reap the rewards or, or not of what you say you're capable of. And if you say, gosh, I, I'm a great podcaster, you're going to get a you know billion dollar podcast, but you've got to at least admit that maybe the thing we need to align it with and see how this sits is saying that, but in humility, you're not better than other people but you can claim that skill. You can claim your own value of humanity uh, in humility, but you've got to be able to fess up to what you do well, what you're competent in. And we have such a struggle with that. Cause again, it feels, we said that narcissistic, prideful, egotistical, even right. Um, hmm. When you make it about the end user, maybe it's more palatable, right? So let's use the okay. example of you with podcasting. Okay. So if you're struggling with saying, I'm a great podcaster, I'm, you know, top in the country, whatever. And that's hard for you to say, because you don't want to be seen as not being humble. You can make it about your end users and make it about the reviews that you get and the people's lives that you're impacting, right? And, and be like, I've been given this incredible gift. I'm so grateful for it. And as a result of leaning into this gift, I'm able to positively impact millions of people. And it is such a blessing in my life, right? Like that's the way that I, when I'm taking a speech and, and I'm, you know, I'm getting feedback from people after and, and I'm saying, you know what, I'm so grateful that I've been blessed with this talent to be able to impact people from a stage. It's so meaningful to me. You know, yes, I agree with you. I've had people say to me, well, aren't you a little full of yourself when you say that you're the top, you know, keynote speaker or this, that I say, no, I feel like I don't ever want to be on my deathbed at 90 years old and say, I didn't play big. I didn't do all I was put on this earth to do. I didn't impact and help the, the amount of people or leave a legacy behind to help more people and, and have a domino effect in a positive way. If I don't declare who I am and who I have the potential to become and who I have the potential to impact, I'm selling the world short and I am here to find joy and make the world a better place. And I'm not going to fail any person out there. And if that means give me the biggest microphone possible, because I want to scream that from the top of the hills and then give it to me. Okay. You just mentioned reviews. And that was another thing I pulled out literally as a highlight in your book at, at some point in the book about collecting those reviews and to take those and instead of being, Oh, the, you know, the false humility. Oh, Oh no, not me. I don't have pretty blue eyes or whatever. It's, you know, uh, uh, somebody testifies to you of collecting those for yourself. I would think first for yourself, this is some proof to yourself. And I've been really bad about that, Heather, just in my lifeline uh, or my, my business life of, of collecting those, which we need testimonies matter. I mean, we've got those. I mean, I, I've realized that, you know, you go with your book and they got, okay, go get some VIPs to testify that you, you know, or have some credibility. 
it's a big deal. And I look at them now. So when I get your book, I look on the back and go, okay, who, oh, oh, really? That person said, okay, all right, that's legit. I mean, it really does matter. And instead of downplaying those reviews, it seems great. I feel like even telling my kids that, man, when somebody at your job, I don't care if you're at McDonald's working or whatever, gives you a compliment, have them write it down, put it down and put their name to it. And what a killer, that'd be the best resume ever, wouldn't it? Well, so a couple things. We live in a review and recommendation world, totally. right? So what other people say about us is probably going to be more powerful than our pitch that we have on ourselves, right? So by denying people the opportunity to give you a review, that's like you're failing them. It doesn't cost them anything. It costs them 10, 15, 30 seconds of their time. And they know they can add value and share something that's helping them in a positive way to actually reach and help more people. Who doesn't want to do that, right? So you... You have to say, I, I want to get, so everyone listening right now, if you're a fan of Kevin's show, please go leave him a five-star review and give us some feedback on the show. Not only will it help Kevin's show, it's going to help him reach and help more people, right? So the more we can amass these type of reviews, number one, I save the ones I really love on a file. I call it fam love and I have it in my phone on albums. Anytime I'm having a bad day, and I encourage everyone to do this, whenever you're having a bad day, go to that file and just read about the impact you have on people and nice notes people have sent you. It's going to completely change your perspective and your mindset in any moment. Super, super helpful. But also it helps when you're, when you're saying, I want to go promote my podcast. I don't know what to say. I don't want to look like I'm full of myself then just share some reviews of what other people are saying about it. So you don't have to be the one saying that I'm the best in the world. You know, I'm going to share some of the reviews and some of the things that people say that listen to the show. It's real time feedback and it's coming from a place of, of good. Okay. I'm going to jump from that to a, a sideline business tip as well that you, that you talked about in the book and you talked about asking for people to give you a review on your book. And I, again, we just think that we're going to go out there, we're going to do a great show, do a great book, and everybody's going to give a review about that. And I had somebody recently go, dude, Kevin, have you ever just authentic or, or uh, uh, spontaneously left a review for anyone on anything without being asked? Mm -hmm. Nope. I, I, it just hadn't occurred to me. And yet I'm wanting everybody else to do that. And as you talked about, you get the reviews by going, hey, would you give a review? I mean, be honest. If it's a one-star review, go for it. But just please take the time. When people ask, I do it. And that is something that is just counterintuitive. We still think that if you build it, they will come. If we do something good, people will testify and they're just not going to take the time. But if you ask, so thank you for doing that. Yes, please go. We'll do that for Heather's book. Do it for Heather's show and do it for mine. Yeah, because people don't do it automatically. But we have to ask. Again, that feels so inauthentic and yet it's just truth. And you put that in your book. A closed mouth doesn't get fed. That's from the Bible, right? So, so here's, here's the thing. If you sit quietly and, and just hope people know you're looking for views, you will not get them. We live in a review and recommendation world. Start asking, like start screaming that, hey, I'd love your help. It doesn't cost them a dime. P don't deny people that opportunity to help you. Don't deny how it's going to make them feel. They're excited to do that for you. They want to hear that thank you. And they, you know, they want to show you appreciation. It doesn't cost one dime. How often is it that, you know, you get to pay something forward and do something kind for someone and it doesn't cost you anything. You've got to ask people for what you want. Got it. I saw a restaurant at some point and it was something like, give us a, a review on Yelp and you get free fries. It didn't say it had to be a five star. You can give a crappy review, but you give a review, you get free fries. And they had a zillion more reviews than anybody else around. Of course. What is the, uh, the ethical bribe, right? Well, you know what? Alex Hermosi does a, a great job of this. I had him on my podcast recently, so I read his book. 
In his book, every chapter, he says, please go right now and leave a five-star review and feedback on, you know, on my book. When I went to his reviews, he has 10 times reviews that I have on mine. I never did that the way that he did with frequency, right? So it's important to let people know what you need. Let people know how they can help help you, especially when it doesn't even cost them anything. It actually works. Okay. I'm going to come back to confidence on something that you just said, because we're talking about other people's reviews and you said, you know, how important it is what other people say about us. Now let's caveat that with another story in your book, because you talk about your book comes out, you share it with your family. Yeah. You know where I'm going with this. You share it with your family and you pretty much down the board get uh, criticism or, or, or some negativity or at least some pushback from your sister, from your mom, whatever. And you even look at that, you know, why did you get it from your mom? Cause she felt like you, you know, didn't showcase her in the way that she would want to be showcased or whatever. And that that is what it just brought out to me, Heather, is our propensity to put so much weight on those people around us who know us best because we think they know us best. And we could say that that may be fair. And yet, as you talk about, and I didn't pull the quote out, Heather, but you, it was something to the effect of- Oh, I've got it for you. Never you, take advice and direction from someone who hasn't been where you're going. That's it. Because they aren't book writers. They aren't out there. And so go over here and work with your editor. Like you said, who'd written 19 books. I had Jen Sincero's editor. That's who I paid for my book. Yeah. And so she knows what makes a good book. I'm And so when she looks at it and goes, dude, you got the structure pretty good. Now let's wrap it up. I thought that's good. And I didn't bother to show it to the people around me that know me best, but have no idea about writing a book. But that's huge. You know that that derails so many people. If the people around you testify... It must be true because they know us best. Yeah. For everyone listening right now, you got to be mindful of this. Really think to yourself, if you're looking for directions on how to get to Guam, you're asking someone who's actually been to Guam, how they did it, how, 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 you know, what worked well, what didn't work well. Think the same exact way. If you're thinking of leaving your job, you don't go to your mother. If she's been a stay at home mom, her whole life to ask her, she's going to put her fears and self limiting beliefs and her wants and needs on you. That is not the person to ask. Go find the billionaire that left their day job, started their own company and is killing it. That's the person you need to get advice and direction from. And if you can't get a hold of them, follow them on social media, read their book, watch their Ted talk, right? Like immerse yourself in the knowledge that person is sharing. Okay. Another piece of this that I'm interested in your perspective on, we look at motivation. Okay. Not motive, but motivation, inspiration, right? You know, kind of, again, you know, pumping yourself up that, uh, you know, on one hand, I, I don't know who said it initially, but you can't motivate incompetence, you know? So that's, so I, that has a relevant state there. However, here, if we go back to confidence, so here you are, Heather. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll just, you're the muse. So we'll use you here. You are, this is your area of expertise. You know, this, you teach this. I'm assuming that you don't wake up every morning. Just good. Just good. I'm confident. I, well, maybe you do, but what I'm, what I'm going to poke at, well, here, here's what I'm poking at is how it still feels fragile. There still is. I mean, we can take something and wake up on the wrong side of the bed. We can feel bad. We can take some bad news. And even in all of our well-earned confidence or, or, or well, well, uh, grasped confidence, we can still have a time where we go, man, I've got to, I got to take some affirmative action. And I do need to get my head on straight. We don't just arrive at it. Maybe that's my question. We don't just arrive at it. And then we're just there. We're good. I'm good. Now I'm confident. 
never going to be a bad day, never going to be a negative thought. Never. Okay, but go there because I, I do feel like, again, culturally, and I'll own it for myself, that there's some aspects of feeling like at some point, aren't I just going to be, I'm just good. I'm confident. I've got faith, like we talked about. I've got good belief. I'm going to be good. And yet I realize, how oh, man, something can just derail me. And I realize, man, my attitude and my motivation and my belief is just in the crapper. And then what's almost just as irritating is something something will happen, something benign, may just be the right song. And all of a sudden, man, I'm up. I mean, come on. How can I be that fragile? Play with that. Yeah, I mean, that's just, just getting to be self-aware and know yourself, right? And know that that's totally normal. And P.S., confidence isn't static, right? So... A great example of this is I've been very confident in business most of my life. I have not been anywhere near as confident in my personal life. So, so you also, some people struggle with confidence at the gym. Some people struggle with confidence that they're going to be in a bathing suit, like whatever it is for you. It, it, it isn't just like a one and done across the board. No, the reality is this. If you're living a big and bold life and going for more and pushing yourself, there's gonna be different aspects in your life where you struggle at different times. That's totally normal. And for those moments where you struggle, like I mentioned, I struggle. I have struggled many times and personal relationships where all self-doubt will come in. Well, it didn't work out last time and I ended up divorced. And what if that's the same thing? You get into your head. I've learned to train myself through music, which you brought up, right? I have a playlist that I use anytime I get in my head in a negative way that primes my mind for success and sets myself up for success. And that's going back to the same um, reasoning that Pavlov's Law, which I don't know if, you know, if you've ever heard of Pavlov's Law, but yeah. and I'll share really quickly. I was a psych major in college and, and we learned that these scientists would when they were going to feed dogs, they would ring a bell right before they would do it. And what they ended up doing was they trained the dog's brains to hear a bell and start salivating as if they were already eating food. Meaning when you train your mind the way that I do and, and, and many people do, whether it be through visual, visualization or for me, it's through music, you actually are setting yourself up for success before you step onto the stage, before you go on the date, before you walk into any environment in which you might feel uncomfortable. There's plenty of things I do above and beyond that. Scent for me is a big thing. Lavender is, is a really calming way for me to get, to remind myself everything's gonna be okay, take a deep breath, get back to the things that you need to do. Writing notes on my shoes is a big thing. I do this with my son, um, you know, all things are possible through Christ is what my son has written on all of his basketball shoes. I put on the bottom of my high heels. I can, I will, before I walk out onto any stage to remind myself that, oh yeah, I'm about to go kill this, right? Practicing is important. The people that you're surrounding yourself with is so critical, important that right before you're going to do something that you do feel scared about, you want people giving you encouragement and supporting you, not speaking down on you because it does impact you negatively. So there's so many different things you can do. For me, working out can completely change my mindset. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've become a master at me. So of course I wake up some mornings and I'm like, listen, today was one of them. I have a crazy day back to back until midnight tonight with things, not all things that I want to do, right? And if I approach it and focus on the parts that I'm not really excited about, that's going to hinder my day. So I know for me, focus on that. I knew I would love coming on your show today, right? So I'm like, focus on the parts that are going to be uplifting and make me feel excited and, and, and think I'm doing good and helping others. Like focus on those things. And then also get real. 
I'm so blessed I live in this incredible country. I live in Miami. I have a healthy kid. I'm healthy. Like, start getting real about, you know, where we really are in life. Because too often we get in our own heads and we're thinking about things that just really don't matter. Thank you. And I'm going to hit on, again, something that you, well, every time you speak, I've got something new to talk about. So um, we're going to be here for the rest of the day. You're going to have to cancel all the rest of your <laughs> I wish I could. I I'm really about, do. I'm about one-tenth of the way through what I wanted to hit on with you. That's okay. It don't mean we have to do another one. But, you know, when we look at, I always call my audience, your audience, this, this type of, of demographic, I refer to them as aspiring people. We had uh, Arthur Brooks on the show recently, and he says strivers. That's what he talks about. And you mentioned, though, that you're confident, you may be confident in one area and not in another. I see that as a big, I have experienced it as a big uh, frustration for myself. And I see it with other people when, let's say, well, it's a part of my book, you know, you, what drives you? It, it, there's a lot of areas where you know what drives you, uh, or, or you know what you want, you know why. And that's an alignment. That's what I call, you know, that's, that's what drives you. And it's working in this area. Let's say health and wellness. And for me, that's it. Health and wellness. Yeah. You talk about being healthy, healthy and, and, and fit. And I, you know, do my exercise stuff and I love it. I'm nailing it there. And then I feel like I'm kind of putting the same work in another area. Let's say finance has always been an Achilles heel for me and it's not panning out, you know, and I don't have confidence there and we don't know how to hold that well. And we even get, Gosh, I've had, I'll never forget this, Heather. I had somebody respond to me once, man, Kevin, you're so disciplined. I want to be as disciplined in you as you. And it was talking about it, which you can easily see, which is that I'm, I'm, you know, I'm fit and I'm healthy and active and athletic and all that. And they were giving me accolades for that. And they, this person was overweight, not, and they were referring to that. Well, we started talking and we get into finances, which mine have historically been, been an absolute train wreck. It's just, I, it's not a motive, a motivating area. I don't like numbers. And you know, now I just pay people to do that, uh, is my only saving grace. Uh, and I looked at theirs and they're, I mean, they're a rock star. They had like, they didn't even have a high paying job. They got millions in the bank. I'm like, holy smokes, dude, that's discipline. Don't disc it. We had, how we tend to want to take that. Either you are or you're not, as opposed to understanding, what would you say the spectrum or how do we, uh, how do we hold that better and not discount ourselves? Yeah. Can we want to do like an all or nothing? Yeah, no, that's, life isn't about all or nothing. Life isn't black or white, right? Like there's, and that's, that's such a great example. What you explain with, you know, your health, yet your lack of financial discipline or knowledge or whatever it is. And then that individual who excelled in the finances, but wasn't excelling in health. That's normal. No one is killing it on every angle and every lane every day. It just, it doesn't happen. And if they say they are, those are the ones that are suffering the absolute most. Those are the most insecure people, right? When they don't own it and say, oh yeah, I'm killing everything all, all around yeah. every board. That's just not true. So, you know, really being, give yourself grace, right? Like we're, we're so kind to others, but not necessarily kind to ourselves. And one of the things being a parent, as we both are, I think to myself, the more I can give myself grace, the more I can feel proud of myself and, and tell my son about my accomplishments, the more he's going to do those same things. So if you're struggling with giving yourself that grace, but you want your kids to do it, then challenge yourself to give grace publicly in front of them next time to help inspire them to do it for them as well. I do want to ask about your overall, you know, your methodology back, uh, belief, actions, and knowledge. If we look at this, I remember back when we built a house and I, I had some friends almost do an intervention because they said, dude, building a house takes time, money, and know-how. 
dude, you got none of that. Absolutely zero, you know, but you know, you need some of a little bit or you have to go, you have to go find it. You have to do something because you've got to have some mix of those. So when you look at this and we're talking about confidence, you're saying it's a mix of those. And I'm wondering when you look at belief, actions, and knowledge. I don't know if that's a fair question, but I just found myself curious of saying, where do you see us? And I'm going to say us as again, the strivers, the aspiring people, the people listen to this show who are having some successes out there, but where do you see, or is there an, any one of those areas where we tend, you tend to see people, even in your audience falter more. Is there one of those areas? Oh, you're nodding. Go. Yeah, for sure. I mean, me personally, I falter more around beliefs, right? And, and and a lot of people are like that. However, the majority of people falter around taking action. That's that's what I found on the feedback that I've received from people and, and, and the people that, you know, have read my books and talked to me about it. The majority of people are not quick to take action. They're very slow to take action. But that's why the book is broken into the three different parts. Start wherever it is that you feel most comfortable, if that's going to work for you, or that you really want to tackle. For me, that's beliefs, right? Like, I I know me. I can take action all day long. I don't think twice about it. I've just been that way my, my whole entire life. And I'm so grateful for that, right? So it's been instilled in me. I duplicate it daily. It's easy beliefs has been a real struggle and wasn't something. So it doesn't matter which one of these things you struggle with there. We all struggle in one area. And again, they're not all, they're not all level. Well, I appreciate you saying that. I, I, I'm like you. Uh, action is just my go-to. Sometimes errantly, I go at it and I don't have enough knowledge or belief and I just go awry and I'm just really making a lot of effort and it's not adding up to something. But action is easy. And I appreciate you talking about the book and you're saying, dude, fine, where are you lacking? And just jump to that one if you want to. I tend to look at knowledge as something I can hire. I can hire knowledge. So I, I feel, I don't feel super knowledgeable necessarily. I mean, I do in my finite area. Well, like here, we're talking about, you know, self-help and whatnot. I feel knowledgeable here. We're not going to talk about finances because that's not my, <laughs> I have no knowledge. Nor so we, I hire people. That, so, but looking at belief, I do feel like that. Well, I, I feel like that is the hardest one for me. And I tend to feel like that's the hardest. I mean, at the end of the day, we're talking about confidence. It still comes down to what we believe about ourselves. And I almost want to say sometimes that, is it even a belief or is it just things that we have subconsciously somewhat agreed to? Somebody said, well, like you, that's your story. You know, you didn't even, you weren't told that you weren't smart. You were just told that your sister was a genius, mm -hmm. that she was uber smart. So by proxy, you must not be. And you, and it's a story of, I'm not, I'm not going to get the guy's name exactly right, but Victor Cerebriakov, he's the guy, he ended up, he was a, told he was a dunce, literally told he was stupid. He lived that way until he took uh, a test, took a, an IQ test, and it was like 145 or something ridiculous. He ends up uh, being the head of the Mensa Society. But just being told that changes life, that even if we have the ability if we believe so pl play with that with me real quick. Cause there's some things that we're told and a lot of things that we're not, but we just, for some reason, like you did just kind of assume, well, I must not be smart. Didn't have any truth to it. And you found out later it was absolutely untrue. You knocked it out of the park on your IQ test too. It just wasn't to the same level as your sister. <laughs> oh my gosh. I forgot if I had told that. I, I was going to say, Kevin, I have such a good story about this. Cause I, I forgot if I had told that story in the book. But yeah, no, listen, everybody listening right now, everyone is holding on to a story that's not serving them. And if you take nothing else from this episode, 
When you disconnect today, go figure out what that story is and rewrite it into something that is benefiting and serving you. It is up to you. You hold the pen. It doesn't matter who initially held it when you when that story was dictated to you. And, and to your point, a lot of us are labeled as kids, right? And, and we allow those labels to stick with us. My sister was a smart one. I was the social one. And, and the moment I really was confronted with that, I didn't even think about it subconsciously. I was thinking about it all the time through my whole career, but I didn't realize I was really thinking about it until the day Elvis Duran looked at me and said, well, obviously you're writing a book. And in that moment, when he spoke this truth and this conviction and this belief into me, the reality is I wasn't writing a book and I didn't even know, could someone who's not the smart one write a book? That was the first thought that came into my mind. And because he spoke conviction and truth and belief into me, I accepted that challenge. I owned it, held myself accountable in front of his millions of listeners and said, yes, I am. But then I Googled, am I allowed to write a book? Right? Like I, I had to really, and that was all about my own issues, me holding on to these labels and me holding on to this belief, like, like you said, that I just wasn't smart enough because my sister was so smart. So I had to rewrite that story. And it, yes, it became much easier when um, a year or two later, my sister said to me, you don't remember when we went in to get our IQs tested because I was so smart and they wanted to advance me and we didn't have a babysitter for you. So you had to come because again, I was a social one, but she said, you tested in the genius realm. She said, nowhere near as high as I did. You know, she was off the charts. She said, but you are th that smart. And I thought, oh my, thank you for saying, I said, are you making, I didn't believe it. I'm like, are you making that? Like, can someone produce this? I asked for the paperwork, right? That's so crazy, but that's just deep rooted for, you know, years and years of my life, believing that I wasn't smart because she was. So please take a look at whatever story that is in your life, rewrite it today. Cause I promise you it will change what is potentially out there in the world for you. I was skipping meetings. I'll never forget this. When I was younger, if an investor was coming in and he went to an Ivy League, I'm like, oh, I can't make that meeting. I'm running late. I was afraid that I'd be found out as not smart. When it turned out, I actually scored at the highest level on this IQ test, but I just was denying that possibility for myself. I, I, I got to have my wife listen to this part because that's her story, Heather. Her, and it was really just because her sister just decided I want to go to med school and I'm going to go and I'm going to be valedictorian. And she just went that way and she got labeled. She's a smart one. And my wife, Terry, she's she's the pretty one, the performer, pretty performer. And so that's what she did. Not that that wasn't, you know, somewhat performing is a part of her, but she went that way. And it wasn't until a long time later that I, she took an IQ test. I think it was like 135, 137. It's like, well, crap. I never, you know, I left that out. Okay. So I do want people to hear, we could do a three hour show here. We've, I hope I've hit, done well in hitting some highlights on this issue of confidence, but you know, you need to dig into Heather's book, uh, go to the podcast, creating confidence. And I do want to hit though, on something that I have not seen before. And I'm always, I'm actually a, always a little ashamed that really, I missed that. This is my area, self-help, right? And you bring it up in your, wherever it was, neutral thinking, because it does such a great job of hitting this positive, negative thing, this being optimistic, this, you know, type of thing I'm supposed to take whatever and just, you know, make lemonade out of, out of lemons. I'm supposed to speak, speak the positive. And I just hadn't read it in the format that you put it in, in regards to neutral thinking. Cause so often the trying to put positivity thing, it just doesn't work. 
I'm sitting there and I'm trying to put it on it. And I know it's kind of BS. Uh, not that it's bad. I know it has benefit, but it just, it's not resonating as opposed to the concept of neutral thinking. And I think I even wrote down, I did, here it is. Here's, this is what you wrote in the book, Heather. Uh, here's an example of it. Problem. I have an exam tomorrow. Negative thinking. I will fail tomorrow. Positive thinking. I will pass this exam. Neutral thinking. I will study all night to prepare for the exam. That feels right off the bat. Like that's legit confidence. That's something that I can have control of or over. I can agree with, and I can accept because just to say, I'm going to pass this exam. If I don't feel like I have prepared for it and I don't know the answers, then it's a, it's a, it's stupid. It literally doesn't take root just to throw positivity on it. So unpack that just a little bit because I've, it's new to me. Thank you. Yeah. So data doesn't lie, right? So when you receive a lot of DMs or questions, and I'm constantly getting questions about how do I become a positive thinker like you? Now, listen, people have different personalities. People have different belief systems, right? I will say typically, not always, but typically I'm a very positive person. And again, that's been a lot of work. And I'm sure probably, you know, was born just some of it is my personality. Not everyone is that way. I receive countless DMs about this topic. I'm not as positive as you. How do I become more positive? So I noticed that people struggled with this idea of some people are just positive and I'm just not. And how do you bridge that gap? And one of my guests actually, who, who had trained so many athletes and, and worked with a lot of corporations around this exact topic, which I was not familiar with, opened my eyes to this idea that not everyone can make this shift from, I woke up in a bad mood and I'm not having a great day. Hey, let's focus on the good things that I have to come. Let's get excited about, you know, what is positive coming my way. They can't make that leap and gap. Well, then let's offer them a solution. And it was about, you don't have to jump the 20 miles to get over there. You can just move one mile over to neutral. And that's about what's within our control. And it just feels better. That's the feedback I get from most people. We have um, an exercise in the book that, I walk people through to let them look at different situations and say, okay, you woke up this morning, you're completely negative. You had a horrible day the day before. I might wake up and say, new start, new day, excited to tackle it in my way. (laughs) I just like the rhyme. But for somebody else, they can say, yesterday is in the past. Today is a new opportunity. I'm going to start off with a walk, which will help me feel better, right? Like that's much more neutral than saying, I'm forecasting this day is going to be the best day of my life. So it's a lot easier for people to shift from negative to neutral. And you don't have to like become so focused on this idea that positive is the only way. By just moving to the neutral, you're going to change what you believe about yourself, what you, how the energy you're putting out there, what you're attracting into your life. And all of that is going to lead you to a more positive future. So it really does work. Thank you. And that's why I liked it because I looked at it and I thought, gosh, that is what I do. I just hadn't defined it well. I don't go from the, the negative or the doubts or the, you know, I'm concerned about something and then just flip the switch. But I do realize, okay, there are things that I can, like you said, that there are things that I can control that I can do that I know will help me get there. For me, I'm going to go out on, I'm going to have my quiet time. I'm going to be aware and present. I'm going to go out for a run or a ride. I'm going to, and at the end of the day, I'm going to have a great dinner no matter what and really great wine. So there's always that to look forward to, but whatever it is, you know, the neutral thinking to start taking control of that. So thank you for that thing. I feel like so many paradigm shifts and I want to drive people, uh, the book that we just hit surface on, but there's so many great stories from Heather on walking this out in her life, not as superhuman as a real human, but doing the things that she can control. Uh, so overcome your villains 
and then the show that you can tune into, which is, yeah, me talking about being a good podcaster and a big show. I think your show is bigger than mine is. So it's, it's, uh, creating confidence, incredible show, incredible people on there. Some of them that I've had on, but you take them in a totally new direction. So go tune in with her there. How many episodes are you producing a week, Heather? I do two a week and it's been for four years and Kevin's going to be on the show. So you'll have to listen to the episode with me and Kevin together on creating confidence. Absolutely. Hey, thank you for being here. Thanks for the work you did to put the book out. Thanks for your confidence and humility. It's just a gift to me and I know will be to everybody listening. It's been a pleasure, Heather. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. All right, everyone right now can pull up Heather's top ranked podcast and subscribe. It's called Creating Confidence, literally a top 200 overall in Apple Podcasts. And I encourage you to check out her new book, Overcome Your Villains, Mastering Your Beliefs, Actions, and Knowledge to Conquer Any Adversity. If you got value from the show, please leave a rating in Spotify and a rating and a review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps people find us and know what we're about. And if you found value in this episode, share what you learned, either share the episode itself or just the content with those you care about. <music>